electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. And tonight on the CNBC special hour of Crypto Night in America, markets heading higher, the Dow breaking an eight-week losing streak, the S&P ending a seven-week slide, both having their best week since November of 2020. The Nasdaq also climbing 1,000 points just this week. Crypto, on the other hand, falling out of step with the Nasdaq. Bitcoin, which had traded in tandem with tech stocks, falling more than 1% this week. Tonight, we've got every angle of cryptocurrencies covered, from companies holding billions on their balance sheets to individuals investing in their retirement accounts. We'll get the latest on stable coins. We're going to take some of your questions, plus our famous Crypto Night panel. It is back. Welcome, everyone, to this CNBC special, Crypto Night in America. I'm Frank Holland. Mad Money's Jim Cramer. He is off tonight. Let's take a look at some of the big cryptocurrencies and just how much they're off their recent highs. We're looking at Bitcoin right now, um, almost 60% off of its recent high. Ether, more than 60% off of its recent high. Ripple, about 80% off of its 52-week high. How do we get here? Back in early November of 2021, we're going to show you the chart right here. Bitcoin hit its all-time high right over here, above 68,000. Then, as you can see, it started to pull back just a little bit. Then just a few weeks later, the Omicron variant hit right around here. And then investors, they started shedding riskier assets on concerns about the global economy. And then we move forward right around the start of the Ukraine war. We saw a bit of a spike in cryptocurrencies. Crypto made a bit of a mini rally with some betting on it for safety. But then in late March, when President Biden said that Putin cannot remain in power, we saw another big sell off. We see the decline from there. And we all know what happens after that. That's where we are today. During much of 2022, Bitcoin and the NASDAQ 100, the biggest tech stocks, they appear to be highly correlated, moving together. You can see the trend going on right here. But then, about in about like a last month, last few weeks or so, we've seen a bit of a divergence right around here, leading to new questions about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and what's going on in this space. Well, one thing we know for sure, there's a lot going on in this space. So before you take your eye off the ball this holiday weekend, let's take a look at what we can expect from crypto, the stock market, that's closed on Monday. But remember, crypto, that trades 24-7, 365. So, of course, that means that asset class will continue trading over Memorial Day. And it could be shaping up to be a wild day of trading. Our own Kate Rooney joins us with much more. Kate? Hi, Frank. Yeah, crypto will be one of the few asset classes trading on Monday while U.S. markets 
are closed for Memorial Day. And analysts are expecting some big price swings. It's mainly because of a lack of liquidity, meaning there's fewer people out there trading. So just a handful of larger trades could trigger outsized spikes in either direction, not just on the downside. Fundstrat pulled some of the data on this and found that in recent years, crypto trading volumes have fallen off a cliff during major U.S. holidays. July 4th tends to see the biggest declines, followed by Martin Luther King Day. And you've got Memorial Day and Labor Day pretty much tied. New Year's Day is one of the big outliers. There actually tends to be more trading on January 1st. Fundstrat here is looking at the average change compared to the 30-day moving average. And it also underlines how widely adopted Bitcoin now is in the U.S. Fundstrat found that Bitcoin tends to perform better during U.S. trading hours, and that really wasn't the case four years ago when the asset class was much bigger in Asia than it was in the U.S. Another factor that could add to volatility on Monday, record leverage in crypto right now. That's measured by the Bitcoin leverage ratio, which has been climbing since February. It's now at an all-time high, and if Bitcoin were to move sharply in either direction, it could catch those leveraged investors offsides, and as Fundstrap puts it, compound a move in either direction. On top of all of that, Bitcoin is still very much tied to the macro outlook, which is still looking tough for riskier assets with quantitative tightening starting and the Fed raising rates. Bitcoin right now very much struggling to avoid its ninth straight week of declines. It's been trading sideways for most of the week here. Frank, back to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Kate. Great, ups, great setup there. Joining me now to talk more about the volatility in crypto and to really hash out the bull and the bear case for this asset class is our expert panel. Skybridge Capital founder Anthony Scaramucci. Duke Law Professor Lee Reiners and CoinShares Chief Strategy Officer Meltem Demirers. Meltem, Lee and Anthony, thank you for being here. Hope you're getting your Friday off to a good start. We're going to jump right into this. Meltem, ladies first, I want to ask you in a few words, a few phrases, where are we at in the state of cryptocurrency? The phrase is very simple, fear, uncertainty, doubt. There is a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of uncertainty about direction. And as a result, we're seeing investors pulling back. We've seen buying of the dip. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the largest week of inflows and Bitcoin started its decline. This past week, we saw around 140 million of outflows. So we're keeping our eye on how that expression of sentiment plays out in the market with people positioning either long or short. All right, Melton, fair to say that you are a bull when it comes to cryptocurrency. Lee, I'm going to go to you. I think it's fair to say you're a bit of a bear, at least. If you had to put it in a few words, a few sentences, what would you say the state of cryptocurrency is right now? Well, good evening, Frank. In the way things are going right now, this might be the last crypto night in America. So I just want to say to Anthony and Meltem, it's been an honor to share the, the spotlight with you here. Um, you know, 40% of Bitcoin holders are underwater right now. And, you know, this was inevitable. And I've been saying this for, for quite a while because, you know, the only reason people have been buying digital assets is because they think they can sell them to someone else at a higher price in the future. And eventually the supply of greater fools runs out. And I think that's what's happened. And the problem, if you're trying to assess whether or not crypto is oversold, is what, are the method, what is the methodology you're relying upon? And there's no cash flow. There's no fundamentals. It's an asset that trades entirely on sentiment. And right now, that sentiment is negative, and there's no indication that it's going to turn positive anytime soon, especially now that interest rates are rising. Lee, that was more than a few words, but it was spicy, so I liked it. Anthony, we're going to give you the, the, the next chance to hit this one. I mean, what is the state of cryptocurrency right now? Where are we at? Okay. Well, just two quick things. Uh, Frank, you left out the Luna Terror, terror debacle in your preamble, and that caused a shockwave through the markets. And I think it's causing a cleansing of the markets and a lot of the altcoins in the space. 
And then secondarily, what I would say to Lee is I wish he'd come to uh, Crypto Bahamas with us where Melvin was explaining to people the use cases, the broadening of the Lightning Network, and he would have seen that there's billions of dollars of capital entering the space, including the Andreessen Horowitz $4.5 billion capital raise uh, that they announced this week. And so I like following the numbers. Where are the numbers? Use cases are going up. Wallets are going up. And there's exponential growth in the industry. But like all early technology, you have these waves of volatility. And as Melton said, fear and uncertainty and doubt is the lead right now. And I predict until we get a cash ETF approved in the United States, Lee's working against that, I'm working for it, uh, we'll probably see this thing languishing for a period of time. But when we get the cash ETF, I think we'll be off to the races. And remember, Fidelity made an announcement that they're putting this stuff in their 401k product offering. So I think very good times are ahead. We just have to be patient. Yeah, we're going to touch on that in a minute. And by the way, I think all of us just wish we were in the Bahamas, whether it was crypto Bahamas or not. <laughs> um, while you're talking, Anthony, let me just ask you a question. You touched on Luna and Terra really quick. Um, a lot of people are concerned about that. It's caused a lot of concern in the market, but it hasn't really trickled into other stable coins. But are there any lessons as a crypto investor you can learn from Luna and Terra? Listen, our, our crypto team wrote about this. We said it's very, it's impossible to call something a stable asset that's being backed by something that has an 80 vol. So we, we wrote about this. It was an unshaky ground from day one. And when it imploded, we were not surprised. Having said that, it did cripple for the short term the industry. And so I just think we need the healing process. Uh, Lee points out something that I do believe there are speculators in the market that are purely buying this stuff because they think they can sell it to somebody at a higher price. I think we've washed a lot of those people out with the Luna Terror situation. And I think as we return to fundamentals and people that are actually really doing the homework and understand the technology and recognize that the blockchain and things like Bitcoin are going to be these massive delayering mechanisms for our society, where they're going to take middlemen and middle women out of transactions and lead to unbelievable economic efficiencies. As we get those fundamental investors back into space, I think you're going to see these things rally. So, Lee, you are someone who's very educated on the space. Is there something that you think everybody, whether you're a retail investor or, or institutional investor, should learn from Luna and Terra? Well, stay out of crypto. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Luna, and Terra, Luna and Terra were not the cause of the sell-off in crypto. It was a consequence. The sell-off has been going on for quite a while. Now, of course, I think there are some specific issues at play with algorithmic stablecoins, which is that they're anything but stable. I mean, there are other fiat-backed stablecoins like U.S. Dollar Circle that have performed well. Um, you know, Tether has done uh, okay, although it did break the buck uh, briefly a, a few weeks ago. You know, but I think stablecoins, it's critical that we regulate this space, Frank, because 80 to 85 percent of crypto trading and lending uh, on DeFi platforms and exchanges abroad that are unbanked occurs via stablecoins. So it really supports this broader crypto ecosystem. And right now, the Treasury Department and the White House are trying to require stablecoin issuers to become FDIC-insured banks so we don't have this repeated type of run risk that we saw with Tether and that, or that we saw with uh, Luna and U.S. Dollar Terra, and which we could see with Tether. And in Tether's case, they hold over $30 billion worth of commercial paper. So if there were to be a run on Tether, they would have to sell those assets quite quickly, which would drive up borrowing costs for real companies in the real economy. And you would have a spillover impact 
that really would just be unfathomable. So we have to get stablecoin regulation right and broader crypto regulation right. Man, Lee, you came ready to go tonight. Melton, I'm going to go over to you with a bit of a different question. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, about two weeks ago, we saw a record inflows into crypto products of $275 million. It's a weekly record, not an all-time record, obviously. Yeah. Um, this is following Luna and Terra. So are you basically sharing the stat to say that investors are not scared off by what they saw? No, I think, again, I've been here for eight years doing the exact same thing eight years ago that I'm doing today. Crypto is here to stay. Financial innovation is here to stay. We can't put the proverbial toothpaste back in the tube. It's out. It's happening. The question is, where is it going to happen? What we saw two weeks ago when Bitcoin started its slide is investors had capital on the sideline and they're looking for opportunities to accumulate. A lot of people are not speculators. They are long-term buyers and holders of particularly Bitcoin, but also other cryptocurrencies. We see institutions buying. We see asset managers buying. We see investment firms buying. We get coin shares of close to $4 billion in assets under management even today, and we continue to see flows in our products. So what we see is a lot of investors who are looking at this are looking at this as a long-term buying opportunity. It's a great time to be dollar cost averaging in. We don't know where Bitcoin's going to bottom. Prior cycles, we bottomed at around 80 to 90% off all-time highs. We're currently at around 55 to 60%. So we could see a bit more of a decline. But at the end of the day, if you believe in financial innovation, if you believe in a more resilient global financial industry that is supported by open permissionless protocols, which I do and I know Anthony does, this is what's happening. It's going to happen regardless of what policymakers say. And again, we have a choice. The U.S. can be the home of financial innovation as it's been for many decades, or we can fall behind. So I think the opportunity is here. It's now. It's happening. Mm -hmm. Investors are continuing to, to add to their positions. And it's not just in public markets. It's in private markets. It's across the spectrum. And there are now more ways than ever, whether it's structured products, whether it's putting Bitcoin mm -hmm. in your long-term retirement account, whether it's investing in venture. There are a myriad of ways to get exposure to the space. And I'm just excited to see it continue to grow. We'll continue to see more of a cleanup, as Anthony alluded to. And to me, this is inevitable. Been here for eight. Hopefully, we'll be here for 80. <laughs> so you'll be seeing this face for a long time to come. Well, Lee says this might be the last one, but we do have to get to the last word. We almost have to wrap this up. So I'm going to go back around the horn one more time. A lot of people are hurting with their crypto investments. Crypto is down. I think we can all agree on that. One quick last word, Lee. I'm going to start with you. Actually, quick this time. Uh, what would you say to people out there that are holding some of these coins that are down 60 to 80 percent? I mean, I'd say good luck. And you're not going to be at Crypto Bahamas next year. They'd be lucky if you're in Crypto Yonkers, the way things are going. So. <laughs> You know, again, there's no there's no fundamental value associated with these digital assets. And frankly, these high prices have actually worked against the underlying technology. You know, Satoshi envisioned Bitcoin to be a peer-to-peer -peer payment mechanism. And it doesn't work if it's so volatile and it's trading at $30,000 or $60,000. You look at Ethereum, it was designed for smart contracts. Well, the gas fees are so high that it doesn't work from a transaction standpoint. So I actually think you will see people building out additional products that won't be dependent on these sky-high valuations that hopefully there'll be a real use case. Because when it comes to blockchain, I'm still waiting for the legitimate economic use case. All right. Lee, that wasn't quick. Anthony, over to you. I'll be brief. If you don't understand these technologies, you should sell. If you're in it for speculative reasons, sell. But if you believe, like Nelton and I believe, in the long-term future of financial innovation, and you take the time to actually understand what's going on, you should buy it and not look at it. And remember that the best accounts 
are the dead people because they don't look at the accounts. Okay. And so you have to stay in things for long periods of time and not be emotional with your investing. Mel, tell me, are you looking forward to crypto Yonkers next year? <laughs> don't worry. Be we'll be back in the month. <laughs> we'll be back in the Bahamas. Mel. Don't worry. I'll be here. I'll be here in the, the live for your die state here in New Hampshire. Look, all I have to say is this. Um, we have seen over the last eight years that I've been in crypto higher highs, but also higher lows. There are cyclical trends. But if you zoom out and look at the secular trend, I think the secular trend is undeniable. Yes, there will be winners and losers. And as we've seen, there are a lot of short term trends in the crypto space that tend to become popular as people chase speculative mm -hmm. returns. In boom times, we see people moving further out on the risk reward spectrum. And that obviously as consequences. But again, if you believe in the long-term secular trend and the long-term opportunity, I think it's a great time to continue to invest. I've always advocated for never investing more than you're willing to lose and to take a prudent approach. This risk, this volatility is not for everyone, but if me, you love risk, it's a great place to be. Melton, William, Anthony, never enough time with the three of you. Thank you so much for being here, especially on a holiday Friday. We appreciate it. All right, Crypto Night is just getting started. Coming up, stable coins. They were supposed to be just that, you know, stable. So what's behind all this volatility? We'll find out why one crypto critic is calling it the next big Ponzi scheme. And MicroStrategy, it's tumbling down over 40% in the past month alone. But the CEO is still betting big on Bitcoin. He's joining us when Crypto Night continues. Stay with us. I've been investing in stocks for about 10 years now. My stance on crypto is I believe in the space. I believe in the, the technology. But I've been hesitant to dip in because of the volatility in the market. So I think that this is the time when you reevaluate your portfolio. So I think that once the market recovers, I think the projects like Bitcoin and Ethereum are going to be the ones that um, are here to stay. And that's where I, I want to have my money. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible 
visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back to this CNBC special Crypto Night in America. Let's drill down on stablecoins and whether the recent crash in Terra will have the crypto community re-examining how stablecoins should fit into their larger investment plans and how much should we all just be worried about contagion. Mackenzie Sagalos joins us now with much more. Hey there, Mackenzie. Hey, Frank. So the last few weeks have shaken investor confidence. We saw USTC, US. One of the most popular U.S. dollar peg stablecoin projects totally collapsed. The flash crash cost investors tens of billions of dollars as they pulled out in a panic that some have compared to a bank run. And then there was a contagion effect where other stablecoins, other cryptocurrencies started to melt down. Now, this week in Washington, I was speaking to senators and regulators from the SEC and the CFTC. And they tell me that regulation was already circulating before the collapse, but it's probably going to get pushed through faster because of this. That said, they had a pretty balanced take on what this means for the industry. They think it's a contained event because we're dealing with a very specific kind of stablecoin known as an algorithmic stablecoin, which historically never succeeds. Now, some institutional investors recognize this, and they actually made a killing on their investments by exiting their position before it all came crashing down. Venture capital firm Pantera Capital tells me that their $1.7 million investment turned into $170 million, while HackVC and the Winklevoss backed CMCC Global exited their position in December and March, respectively. Frank? Thank you much. Thank you so much for that story. Great stuff as always. All right, here to help us dig into this issue and just how stable stable coins really are, Jill Gunter, Slow Ventures venture partner, and Stephen Kelly, research associate at the Yale School of Management. Thank you both for being here tonight. Thanks. Thank you. So, Jill, I'm going to start with you. You say, and this is some notes you sent us, it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. Well, somebody just got hurt with uh, Terra and Luna. What happens now? Are there any lessons that investors, either retail or institutional, should learn from this? That's right. I mean, consumers have gotten hurt real bad this time. Uh, And that's a problem for the whole industry. And that rightfully, as mentioned previously, draws scrutiny from Washington, from governments around the world. And I think that something that often gets missed and underestimated, actually, is that the industry really welcomes that. You know, the, the players in the industry who want to bring this technology to market in a responsible way, who recognize that the projects that they're running today are but yet experiments welcome scrutiny and clarity, actually, from uh, governments, policymakers and lawmakers. And I think that that will actually be a very healthy development uh, for the industry here in the United States and and elsewhere abroad. So, Stephen, over to you. I mean, if we really think about it, aren't a lot of financial instruments and plans kind of experiments? The Fed's going to hike rates to stop inflation. Isn't that a bit of an experiment? We don't uh, 100 percent know what's going to happen. Is there something that we should have learned from this Luna experiment? Yeah, you know, I think the difference in, in some of those cases is we, ha- we have the legal background. We have, you know, sort of a legal underpinning for these institutions and sort of this code is law idea in crypto. You know, we, 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 we like we said, we don't have the regulations for it yet. So this kind of thing can, can happen. It can happen. You know, these entities are often foreign. They're unregulated. You know, there's, it's not always clear how we can regulate them. In the case of Terra, it was especially hard because there was nothing in particular backing it. 
which makes it even harder to kind of asphyxiate it for regulators to get their hands around. So that that that's, remains the challenge going forward. So, Joe, back over to you. You say that fiat-backed stablecoins, they have utility and they have value in many cases. Can you just lay out one for a retail investor or an institutional investor, something that we can just all kind of just understand very easily? Yeah, so I, I think it's really important not to throw the baby out, out with bathwater here in the case of, of stable coins. You know, we've seen, as mentioned earlier, uh, algorithmic stable coins fail time and time again. You can go back to a project called NewBits in 2016. The exact same thing played out as happened with UST over the last two weeks. You know, there were many that saw this coming. But there is a whole other class of product of stablecoin out there that is fiat backed. Many players in that space are doing things very responsibly, quite transparently, and not that different from what happens on Wall Street uh, with depository receipts and things of the sort. Um, USDC, I think, is a great example of this, uh, which is issued by Circle and Coinbase, and again, very sort of transparent uh, and and friendly players in the market, you know, U.S. domiciled. Uh, and, and I think that if you look at the utility there, sure, a lot of it is being used by crypto traders to, you know, park assets as they're moving around uh, between positions and so on and so forth. But there was a great example uh, going back about a year ago uh, where USDC was used as a mechanism to transfer funds into Venezuela uh, when there were sanctions happening and so forth um, and transfer money specifically to individuals in Venezuela and aid organizations and things like that. This was all sanctioned and, and done, uh, I believe, mm-hmm. in concert even with uh, some people in Washington. Um, and so that, I think, is a great example of where Stable coins, in particular, fiat-backed stable coins, uh, can be used to create real utility and enable things to happen, transactions and payments to happen that couldn't with any other type of asset. So, Stephen, I want to ask you a question. I also want to show you some stats. This is on U.S. crypto ownership. We're going to show it to you right here. The global crypto market, that's $1.3 trillion. U.S. household net worth, that's $150 trillion. And right now, Less than a like a, a fraction of U.S. crypto holdings uh, are in U.S. household net worth. You say the end games for this to become crypto to become big banks. Is that what people really want or is that what crypto enthusiasts want? Well, I don't know if it's what enthusiasts want. I mean, the, the idea is sort of a decentralized, you know, a decentralized story. But what's good for the rest of us. So. When we even with a relatively safe fiat backed stable coin, you know, Jill's absolutely right. That nothing's going to go to zero. It, you know, USDC isn't going to fall the way Terra fell, but it, it, it sort of is it sort of inserts itself in between the crypto economy and the banking system that affects all of us. And it, it sort of changes the nature of banking liabilities. And now we have this huge sort of uh, intermediary that that when people want to exit the crypto economy, suddenly, you know, Tether is selling its assets down. And, and these, these entities have to sell their assets now. And that wouldn't be the case if they were banks. Uh, it, you know, exiting a crypto investment would be the same as just moving into a bank deposit. Um, and that, that helps the rest of us. It, it, it avoids that disruption that, right. that can cause scary things like we saw in 2008. Yeah, uh, definitely a scary situation in 2008. I think anybody holding Luna and Terra found themselves in their own scary situation. Jill and Steven, thank you for the insight. We appreciate it. This CNBC special, Crypto Night in America, it's back right after this. Coming up, are there macro bucks to be made from micro strategy? We explain. Plus, 
No broken tokens. The nuts and bolts and keeping your investment secure in a wild asset class. And rebalanced with Bitcoin? Why, you might already own crypto and not even know it. That and more next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Crypto prices in the red yet again. Is Bitcoin approaching a tipping point? Let's call it a digital gold. Most of these currencies are, they're not currencies, right? They're junk. The majority of crypto is garbage. People just don't want to be in, in assets where they perceive high volatility. The volatility of crypto can be highly correlated to the volatility of the economy. There will be a moment there where I can buy my food, my clothing, and my shelter in Bitcoin. Warren Buffett was the first to say that, that this, these are not productive assets. All right, welcome back. As the crypto crash continues, the market is seeing a slide not only in Bitcoin, but in the stocks of companies that hold it. The top five public holders of Bitcoin have seen their stocks slide this year. We're talking Tesla, Block, Galaxy Digital, and Marathon, all down significantly since January. MicroStrategy, the top public holder, is down 60% year-to-date. The company holds over 129,000 Bitcoins as of its latest SEC filing, which is a value today of about $3.7 billion, but that's far lower than it was at the start of this year. Given Bitcoin slide, those stocks have been trading almost in tandem with each other. And joining us now to talk much more about this is Michael Saylor, CEO of MicroStrategy. Michael, thank you for being here. Happy to be here. So, Michael, you say that Bitcoin is far superior to other digital coins out there and that the public just needs to realize. And once it does, retail investors will pile into it. Institutional investors will pile into it. Where do you see this inflection point happening? What's going to be the catalyst for everybody to make this revelation? You know, first of all, everybody needs a certain thing in a very uncertain world. And if you look at what Bitcoin is, it's it's a network of $20 billion worth of mining hardware, burning billions of dollars of energy a year, very de- uh, decentralized, distributed all around the world. It took us 13 years to get here. There's only one Bitcoin. And if you go to Davos, everybody's talking about the need for a new global money. How am I going to store my value? And they're, they're debating, is it gold? Is it silver? 
what is it? And obviously, Bitcoin's the answer. So we have a solution to the world's problem. I think it's just a matter of, of uh, taking a seat and uh, letting things play out. So you're obviously one of the biggest holders of Bitcoin. I want to I read to you a part of a UBS note that was out earlier today. Um, some comments that I really like to get your take on. So the note says, in part, we'd envisage any turnaround as a slow grind as current activity levels are extremely depressed. Social media interest in the space continues to slacken and weakness in on-chain activity is reflected in a low level of transaction fees being generated by all networks of late. Very bearish take by UBS here on any turnaround in cryptocurrency in general. What's your take on that? None of it's going to matter if you pick up uh, the paper one morning and you read that some country just bought $10 billion worth of it, right? All all of these things are looking in the rearview mirror, but if you look forward, there's $300 trillion worth of currency derivatives, bonds, equities that are linked to currencies, other sorts of currencies. They've all got the same problem, which is the currencies are all weakening, either at at a rapid rate or at an insane rate. And uh, so Bitcoin's the solution to that problem. And we've simply got to wait until the world discovers it. So education, I think, mm-hmm. is going to drive adoption. Well, you're clearly a first mover when it comes to Bitcoin. I would think in cryptocurrencies in general. When is the rest of the world going to catch up? Do you have a timeline? I know you believe that Bitcoin's going to reach the millions at some point. But certainly with any kind of projection like that, we need some type of a timeline. Well, you know, a lot of times people focus on the weeks, but if you actually look at the last two years, you could say the world is catching up. Two years ago, we hit a COVID crisis, and since then, the U.S. money supply expanded by 36%. Bitcoin's up 229%. Gold, the NASDAQ, and the S&P have all underperformed the expansion of the U.S. money supply. So over a two-year, a four-year, a six-year, an eight-year time frame, Bitcoin's outperforming everything. I think if you look out another two to four years, it's going to continue to perform. And there'll be some volatility in the near term. But I think that that's the price you pay for the performance. All right, Michael Saylor, CEO of MicroStrategy. We appreciate your insight. Thank you for being here. Yeah, All right, we're just past the bottom of the hour. Let's check in where we ended the week here on Wall Street. Investors getting a reprieve today from the very painful sell-off that we've been seeing recently. Major indexes rising for the week for the first time in about two months. The S&P and the Dow had their best week since November of 2020. The Nasdaq closed up 3.3% today, though it's still 25% from its record high. And let's bring you up to speed on the latest action in cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin, Ether, and Solana, all of them lower today. Coming up, we're answering some of your burning crypto questions when this CNBC special, Crypto Night in America, it continues. Please stay with us. When there is immense fear, that's when the most money is to be made. I'm really loading up on Ethereum the most. I'm keeping an eye on Bitcoin to see if it goes around 21, 22K. And if it hits that, I'm definitely buying like as much as I as I can. What happened to Luna is obviously incredibly scary. And it just goes to show in an industry where you can make a lot, you can also lose a lot. All right, welcome back. Cryptocurrencies have lost a trillion dollars in market value this year, a trillion. Still, they're increasingly becoming a part of everyday life for U.S. households, according to new data from the Federal Reserve this week. Last year, more than one in 10 American adults held or used cryptocurrencies. But only 3% of adults actually use crypto for purchases or money transfers. While that number is small now, some advocates are working to use crypto for much more. 
CNBC senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson has that story. Alyssa Howell joined a crypto wallet company last fall that pays all of its employees in Bitcoin. It has been a very steep learning curve for me. She never owned digital currencies before this job. Now Howell is paid in Bitcoin on the first of every month based on her salary in U.S. dollars. If Bitcoin is 50000 and I make 25000 per month, I'll receive half of a Bitcoin. Now, on the first, our company sets the price. So at a certain time on the first of every month, they'll say, this is the exchange rate for Bitcoin. Employees can then convert their crypto paychecks back into dollars, with the company covering the conversion fee. But this single mother of two has gone all in with crypto. You read it. While she exchanges Bitcoin for dollars to pay day-to-day expenses, she found a lender who would accept Bitcoin for a mortgage and keeps 10% of her Bitcoin pay for retirement savings. I'm long-term cryptocurrency, so I'm not watching the volatility on the day-to-day. I'm here for the next five years, the next decade, the next two decades. That's where I really see the opportunity. Howell has worked for the firm Exodus for about seven months. The company's CEO, J.P. Richardson, says paying employees in Bitcoin is a way to help make virtual currencies more mainstream. I love telling people that only invest what you can afford to lose because this market still is early, even though we believe in the future of this market. Early days, it's still volatile. You know, the price goes up and down, up and down. Bitcoin has been a roller coaster for investors. The price reaching an all-time high above $68,000 last November, but losing half its value since then. Financial advisors caution investors to balance their crypto investments with other financial goals and not to get in over their heads. Before investing in crypto, ask yourself, do you have sufficient emergency savings, disability and life insurance? Are you saving enough for retirement? Also consider your cash flow. Take a breath before pressing that buy button and potentially consulting with an advisor to say, is this the right thing for me? Keep in mind, there are fees involved with exchanging Bitcoin to dollars and tax implications to consider as well. Also, managing your finances using Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies does not offer the same consumer protections as keeping your money in a bank or brokerage account. And that's why the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or CFPB, is taking a close look at crypto. I talked to the director of the agency, Rohit Chopra, earlier this week and started by asking about the CFPB's role in regulating crypto. Most cryptocurrencies, um, including stable coins, are are largely used for speculative trading as securities. But we're very focused on what does the future of consumer payments looks like. The CFPB is getting an avalanche of complaints about um, hacks and fraud. So we want to make sure that people have trust in their money. It is being used by lower income individuals more often for transactions. Is that concerning to you in some way? For many um, consumers, they have nowhere to turn when there's a mistake or an error or fraud. And um, that's a concern because there is a lot of theft and a lot of hacks. And I think people may not necessarily be aware they don't enjoy always the same set of protections or they don't even know who to turn to for help. Um, I do think that we always want to figure out ways how technology can actually make people um, be able to participate more fully in the economy. 
but we also want to make sure that that new technologies, you know, aren't a vehicle to just um, exploit people. Many people have compared some advances um, in crypto to the advances in subprime mortgages over a decade ago. And obviously, we want to make sure that people have um, an understanding of the costs and risks and, and that there is some help for them when things go wrong. We're looking at all of our complaints and we're working with the other regulators to see where we need to crack down on scams and, and deception. But ultimately, um, the, the volatility, particularly in stable coins, is something that is going to be a focus for the regulators. Chopra told me it is important for consumers and investors to know that cryptocurrencies may not necessarily be stable, and they are not federally insured. The CFPB and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation have said that firms cannot misuse the name or logo of the FDIC or make deceptive representations about deposit insurance. Doing so is unlawful, Chopra said. Frank, back to you. All right, Sharon, thank you so much. Crypto Night continues right after this break. Coming up, cryptocurrencies have had investors on tenderhooks this week. We've got a story that may surprise you. Plus, retire on Bitcoin? How cryptos could be changing your 401k when we return on CNBC. All right, welcome back to this CNBC special, Crypto Night in America. There are still plenty of questions surrounding all things crypto. Let's turn to some of yours. With us now joining your most pressing crypto questions is Ben McMillan, CIO at IDX Digital Assets. Ben, thank you for being here. Hey, Brian. All right, let's get right down to it. Our first question is from Ryan in Virginia. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for having me. Everybody knows Bitcoin, but my question is, how do you evaluate the growth potential of other top 10 market cap coins like Ethereum and Cardano? For example, how does project leadership factor into the evaluation? All right, great first question. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, this is a great question. So the first thing we tell people is to remember, focus on quality and think about the risk factors. Think about potential red flags. So we actually have a DeFi index, which is comprised of all coins. Some of the things we look for, number one, does the token have a real use case? Is it, or is it just a meme coin like Doge, which I think is still actually a top 10. So look for a durable use case. Look at adoption. Not just are people buying it, are people using it? Um, Solana, for example, has a lot of applications being built on top of it. That's a good sign. How decentralized is it? Binance coin, for example, has been a top 10 coin for a long time, but it's ultimately on the Binance Smart Chain, which is just a forked version of Ethereum that's centralized. That represents a potential red flag. Finally, of course, leadership team. Are they anonymous? Do they have a track record? What's the roadmap? How well are they executed? So how big is the team? These are things you want to look for. It's not a comprehensive list, but it's some of the four key factors you want to hone in on. You know, Ben, really quick, where's a, like a, a trustworthy source you can go to to see if a, a coin really does have utility? I, I mean, you just got to do a lot of digging. I mean, we spend a lot of time on GitHub. We spend a lot of time on the Discord chats. Um, you know, you really just got to dig into it. One of the benefits of, of, you know, cryptocurrencies is it's very transparent. So you can get in. You don't have to wait for the K's and Q's to come out. You can right. go and do a lot of due diligence yourself. Okay. Next up, question from Michael in Colorado. Mike Lanier from Denver, Colorado, uh, Coinbase shareholder from an average cost of about $300. With the current cost of $75, Bitcoin price target sub $10,000, where do we think the stock's going to go? 
Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one. You know, Coinbase has always kind of been a proxy for Bitcoin since it's launched. But it's important to remember, too, that, you know, in addition to the volatility of Bitcoin and the risk of Bitcoin, Coinbase has its own company-specific risk that it's dealing with. Um, You know, in particular, increased regulatory scrutiny, increased competition. Uh, It's one of the reasons, you know, Coinbase is down 70% year-to-date versus, you know, 37% for Bitcoin. Now, that said, they have launched their wallet, um, which is interesting. They launched their NFT platform. Both of those could be big drivers of growth in the future. Um, but a lot of it's going to depend on just assets coming back into you know, the crypto space. They're going to need to see trading go back up. They're going to need to see you know, risk come back into the space. So you know, tread carefully um, and you know, be mindful of the downside. You know, we got a lot of questions about this. I'm going to basically paraphrase a lot of the questions that were out there. Um, should you just keep holding on to your cryptocurrency? Is it going to bounce back? Is this a temporary decline or is this something that may be permanent? I mean, we liken this to the, you know, the, the tech washout of technology stocks in the late 90s. Um, you know, as one example I saw at some point, one point in the late 90s or two, you know, early 2000s, both Pets.com and Amazon were down over 80 percent. You know, one of them, of course, went out of business. The other one went on to become an industry unto itself. So if, you know, if you are a long term believer in the space, a believer in blockchain technology, this looks a lot like tech washout that we saw in the early 2000s. And so, you, again, if you have a long enough holding period, a long enough horizon, you know, there's every reason to expect, you know, cryptocurrencies will come back very strong and be ubiquitous part of the technology that we participate in. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to be a bumpy ride. Yeah, it's been a bumpy ride so far. We appreciate the insight. Have a great weekend. All right. Up next, Bitcoin is coming to your 401k. We're talking diamond hands and investment plans next. And stay tuned for the news with Shepard Smith beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern right here on CNBC. We'll be right back. I feel like I have gambled. And it was really fun when I had great timing and was winning, but um, it's not so fun anymore. (laughs) The recent failure in Luna has completely changed my perspective on crypto. I'm more hands-off now. Crypto is not what I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Too crazy for me. Welcome back to Crypto Night in America. Crypto is just infiltrating so many aspects of the investment world these days with the latest development that you can now incorporate the asset class into your 401k. So has it gone way too far or could crypto be the key to your retirement? Let's bring in Jesse Proudman. He's the VP of crypto for Betterment. Jesse, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So we set it up as these two extremes. It could be like the key to your retirement. It could be a bad idea. I'm sure the real answer is somewhere in the middle. What is the answer? Yeah, you know, I think it's an investor by investor decision. At the end of the day, this is a risky asset class. It's a volatile asset class. And I think about it like an emerging market, a frontier market. And so depending on where you are in your journey, uh, that that really influences how and where you should allocate into this asset class. Well, I think a lot of people are on their journey watching this show looking for a few answers. So one development that's happened just recently is that Fidelity has allowed people to have up to 20% of their 401k in cryptocurrency. So is 20% a lot or a little bit considering how volatile this asset is? Well, the interesting thing about the Fidelity announcement, it was 20% in Bitcoin in particular. And so they're allocating into a specific asset versus the entire asset class. And so I think in, in my eyes, that's similar to putting 20% of your capital into Yahoo in 2000 as a, a single search engine when there's an entire asset class of, of technology stocks. Really, it's, a, it's about diversification in our eyes. Intelligent investing in this asset class really requires spreading capital around. So Fidelity is obviously very, at least uh, pro, if you will, on Bitcoin. They're allowing you to add it to your 401k. Are there some other coins that you think people should look at 
as a possible investment vehicle for their retirement or just for a long-term savings plan? Yeah. So the way we think about it at Betterment is diversification and long-term investing are really key to participating in this asset class. And we've seen the impact of the volatility in these markets over the last couple of weeks. Uh, They're incredibly volatile and they go through big market swings. So trying to pick or choose specific assets in our eyes, it really becomes sort of penny stock picking uh, to a large extent, whereas kind of deploying across the entire asset class gives you benefits of of being able to uh, benefit economically from the swings in the various sectors. So you're saying invest across uh, different assets in, in the, the Bitcoin, I mean, excuse me, the cryptocurrency space. One that a lot of people had put some money in was Luna and Terra. It's a stable coin. A lot of people, at least just by the term itself, stable, it sounds like it's going to be less volatile than the others. What do you think that people who are saving for their retirement or long-term savings should learn from what we saw with Luna? Well, that's the challenging part about this, this entire ecosystem is that the, the language that everybody uses here, it's confusing and it's a foreign language for most people. So uh, UST was a stable coin, but it was an algorithmic stable coin, which doesn't necessarily mean or put it on the same plane as other US dollar backed stable coins. And it can get really confusing when you're trying to make decisions around how to go deploy your capital and when you don't have the time to really understand the specifics of each of these individual assets. So really, that, that's why our perspective is that this diversified approach that investing across many different assets instead of a single asset uh, mm-hmm. is really important. And then always asking yourself, if, is it too good to be true? So this 20% yield payment uh, that that uh, was being promised on top of, of UST, that seems really great. And so trying to figure out what is the mechanic behind that that right. allows that to be delivered is, is an important question to ask. It sounds like you're saying if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. We appreciate the insight. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. That's all. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's all for us tonight on Crypto Night in America. The news with Shepard Smith coming up right now. Have a great holiday weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.